Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Brilliant to see you all, and uh, welcome to another uh, live recording of The Word in Your Ear podcast at 21 Soho. Um, both David and I were in the music press in the, in the late 70s, and uh, the, we're, I'm here to tell you that it was a, an absolute journalistic field day, because every single second something absolutely... Stunning seemed to be happening in the, in the punk rock front line. And reading this great book, Life's a Gamble, just really reminded us of the whole thing. And it's a, it's a fantastic book. It's, it's full of, um, of press cuttings, full of ephemera, full of memorabilia, and most importantly, it's full of uh, very, very brilliantly remembered and vivid and very emotional stories of life on the inside. And so please welcome and give an enormous round of applause for its author, Pauline Murray. So, Pauline, first question, which we've rather teed up, haven't we? With it, you started writing this book for your children, is that right? Well, that's what you said, yeah. But well, that's uh, what he said in the I book. I did say it that. It says in the, the intro. Yeah, it is in the intro, yes. I'd had no intention of writing a book seriously, uh, but a few years ago I thought, you know, you never know what your parents did and then they die and you forget to... You think, I wish I'd asked them this or this because you have no clear idea of their lives or the timeline of the lives. So I just did it as a stream of thought thing out of my memory, you know. Um, and I got up to the point where the band reformed and then I just left it. I never came back to it. And then, um, not last year, the year before, Russ, who does all the layouts for the book, he approached um, Omnibus unbeknown to me, and uh, proposed that I do a, an autobiography, and they said, yes, we really want to, and well, I thought, wow, that's amazing, and I thought, oh my God, what are we going to do, you know, um, but I agreed to do it, so um, all that first lot of writing that I did, um, I had to, well, more or less redo it all, because your memory just is not very reliable, and when you're doing a book seriously, you know, when it's going to be published and that, yeah, yeah uh, you've got to try and, you know, nail it, if you like. Right. Um, so I had to do quite a lot of research 
um, the, the early chapters, chapter one and two, uh, I talk a lot about family history because I had researched family history a few years earlier and I did feel that, your ans that my ancestors needed to be in that book, that I needed to tell their story first because your ancestors lead into you and... Um, the different times that they live in, and, and, and so tell us a bit about where, where you came from, or where your family came from, or what was that background? Well, they, they all came from West Durham, basically. I'm, I'm totally West Durham, born and bred, which is very strange that I should find myself sitting here on a stage and doing everything that I've done, you know, but. Um, my, my dad was a coal miner, but uh, he, his his fam his father was from a blacksmith's family. So um, basically, in an area like that, there's not not a lot of opportunities. And uh, whatever time you're born into, that's the sort of trade that you adopt. You know, whether it's a blacksmith earlier when they needed to shoe horses, or whether the coal mines opened it's th and it's the only form of um, employment. So my dad was a coal miner. Um, and your mum was a singer, wasn't she? She did a trio well, with your, your sister and she, her sisters? She, it, it, like, when she was young, she was from a family of seven. There was ten of them, but then three didn't make it. But it, it, they were very musical. The dad used to get them to... He would get one to go to dancing lessons and another to piano lessons and... Um, and they would sing in harmony and around about the age of 14 they used to in, during the second world war would go around and entertain the troops as part of um, an entertainment sort of thing that went on at the time so she was quite active singing and loved singing uh, at that sort of age but then as she got a bit older um you know, then you tied into trying to get a job, or then you yeah. you meet the man at the local dance, and then you get married, and then you have kids. That was the the track that most people take in, in places like that. So she was never really able to uh, fulfil beyond that. But but they were they were musical. You know, uh, could sing in harmony just like as a natural thing. It, didn't have to think about it. You when know? did you start singing? What was your first experience of singing? Well, according to my family, I could sing before I could talk, but uh, my daughter was like that as well. But I didn't... I, I think my sister said that my mum my used to get me to sing, like, to the family and stuff, but I don't remember any of that. But the first I remember singing was when I was about 13 and I, I got an acoustic guitar... And there was a couple of girls at school also had acoustic guitars, so we would get together on a lunchtime and we would we, we learnt leaving on a jet plane. Oh, very good. Uh, with the harmonies. Absolutely. Um, because it number one for ages, wasn't it? Yeah, leaving on a great jet plane. song, Leaving on a Jet Plane. It's Absolutely. like your dream, isn't it, just to take off yeah. and leave. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Um, well, we've got a picture of, of, uh, of, of Fluff Freeman, Alan Freeman behind us. We're running some slides Big, while we're recording this. Right. And, uh, and you write about the, the music that you heard listening to his show. Pig of the Pops. Yeah, was it on, on a Sunday? Sunday so, evening, and it used to be immediately <laughs> followed by Sing Something Simple. Oh, Sing, I remember that one, yes. Bear with the Cliff Adams. Oh, yes, I remember wrong. it well. I mean, in our house, you know, um, we didn't uh, have a record player when I was, like, between the age of up to ten or whatever. Uh, they just used to play the radio, 
you know, and it was like terrible things like Billy Cotton's bands, you know, like all these like really old fashioned musical things. But then when the 60s came along, um, everything exploded on the radio, you know. So we didn't have a record player until later. Um, So the radio really was your point of contact um, for the new music coming out. So you would listen to the chart rundown and uh, all your favourite records would get played. And uh, and it was a surprise to you because it wasn't like now when you know what was number one. And I think, did it, was it, the point where they announced the like yeah, numbers, well, it, 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 do you know what I mean? Be a mystery until, yeah, until and then until top of the pops yeah, would yeah. probably, you know, they probably would have known by the time the Thursday came. But I, I think was it a surprise when they did the rundown that of what the chart places yeah, were? Yeah, I think it, it, it was would, number no, one, and yeah, no, I yeah. don't know. It was just you know the, the way that you got your music basically off the, was off the radio. But then you got a record point. player later on. We're looking here. Uh, we got, we've got a kind of montage of a bunch of bunch of records that you you particularly liked in that time. You were a fan of Carol King's Tapestry, is that right? Yes, I did like Carol King's Tapestry, and I still do. So you know that one. That's all right. No, absolutely. No. <laughs> hey, uh, it's I'm not a li- guilty pleasure. It's, it, no, it's, it's a certainly pleasure. not. I, I think, you know... Uh, Sullivan was in there. And yeah, well, it'd be about 13, 14 when that nothing rhymed. You know, I used to like that. I quite liked, you know, good songs with a bit of emotion in them. And uh, at the time, you know, of Carole King in, in the early 70s, you know, I didn't totally know her background, no, but, no. but I knew a lot of her songs from the 60s that she'd written or co-written, so she was probably already in there, and I think, you know, as a female, she held her own um, no, in a music career as a writer and everything. Well, you I didn't were, know that at the time, but I Were you a like T-Rex that. fan? Uh, I, I wasn't a T-Rex teeny sort of mania, um, you know, putting it on my bedroom wall or any, right. anything like that, but I did uh, have a, hot, a Rider White Swan and Hot Love. and um, Right, right. Where, where did you buy records? Can you remember? Well, uh, uh, the first ones I bought, I didn't really have to buy many because I had a boyfriend who bought tons, so oh. I ho- heard everything. But personally, I didn't buy many, but... I did buy um, from Bishop Auckland, which is like Nowheresville, but there was a record shop called Brotherton's, and I bought, is it Everything is Every Day is Tuesday by Chairman of the Board? Uh, That was one. And um, uh, the Paul McCartney one, um, Another Day. Oh, right. It's just another day, that one. And uh, Jimi Hendrix, Voodoo Child, because it was like on offer, cheap. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... I bought, but, but I didn't have to buy records because I had an older boyfriend who was absolutely addicted to buying records. Right. So I heard so much of his, uh, I heard everything that he right. bought. So. But you write about the various uh, kind of musicals, people like Tim Curry as Frank Unferter, mm. and, uh, and also Lisa Minnelli in, in, in Cabaret. Was, there was, was something about the, the clothes that they were wearing was clearly very appealing to well, that was a certain point in time, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, you can take any point in time and you can see what the um, 
influences were that were happening at the time, like say, for instance, Clockwork Orange, you could even pick that. You could, uh, and Cabaret was a film of the time, and and the Rocky Horror Show. But what they were were sort of precursors to punk in the way that it all looked, the heavy makeup. Um, so it was a taster of things to come. Everything, nothing arrives without being no, no, connected sure. to something beforehand. And that was just a point in time of, in, the, in the early to mid-70s of popular culture, if you like. So you got around, you saw quite a lot. I mean, there's yeah, pictures in your book, which is, you know, one of the things that's fantastic about the book is it's a picture book as well as everything else. you got got pictures of you with Steve Harley, haven't you? Yes. I know. Young fan. I'm just was, amazed that a picture that like that exists. Our sister said, here's a picture of you and with Steve Harley. I <laughs> couldn't believe it existed. How did it happen? How did it happen? Yeah. Uh, well, me and my boyfriend used to follow Cockney Rebel. We were like, followed them around on tour and stuff. Not everywhere, but, you know, um, saw them a lot of times. We really liked uh, the first album. Thought it was really different musically. It had something different about it. He had a quite a good attitude, and um, we latched onto them. And we used to go and see lots of gigs. Obviously, got backstage and had a picture. Um, but you came down to London as well, didn't you? We went, we went all over the place. Did you see Bruce Springsteen at the Hammersmith Odeon? Yes, was there that night. <laughs> I was very lucky because the boyfriend who was older than me, he had a job. I was still at school. Right. And he would he was absolutely tuned into like the next thing that was coming along and he bought the tickets and we used to just sleep out on the uh, railway station and you know, we'd get the coach down and um, How do your parents feel about this? They were actually all right. I sometimes think about this. Would you allow your 14-year-old to go and see Lou so Reed at Crystal Palace while I was 14? <laughs> oh yes. Would you allow your 14-year-old daughter to do that? And they did. So did you know you were sleeping out on the railway stations and stuff like that? Um, well, I don't know whether they knew about that, but they trusted the lad that I was with because I got with them very early on and uh, they did have a word with his parents and say, you do realise how young I was. But it, it was the music that, that we were interested in. We were, like, really following our music, basically. And, uh, yeah, they did allow me to do these things. They allowed me to go and see bands when I was doing my all levels and stuff like that. You know, I mean, they weren't strict. <laughs> um which in some ways is really good. and We're looking at a picture at the moment, uh, well, a number of pictures, but there's one wonderful one taken of you uh, at home when you're clearly under the influence of David Bowie. Yes. Um, tell us about that look. It's very, very impressive look, isn't it? Do you know how old there? Hmm. 14, maybe. <laughs> 15, 14, right, right. 14. So you've had your hair cut in quite a radical yeah, yeah, fashion. Yeah, yeah. Major application of uh, mascara. Yes, all of that, yeah. So um, did you get looked at in the street when you were, you know, just wandering around your locality? Probably, yeah. I mean, I looked like worse than that sometimes, you know. That's quite smart, really. But No, uh, it's a very good um, look, but it would have been... 
Well, I think we were quite different for our locality, which was a northeast mining village, and that's not the sort of thing you do. Um, but we sort of led a life that sort of didn't really integrate with that. We were just going to see bands. And so, what did the locals think of you? The thing those, those exotic creatures who I, I, waft I, I, in I, and I, out of town. No, I don't know what they thought of us. You know, um, when the punk time came, you know. Uh, people like Gary and that would get chased down the street. They didn't like anyone that was a bit different, you know. Um, everybody fits in, in that sort of place, because if you don't fit in, you really stand out. But, I don't know, we just used to get on with it, and we didn't really integrate too much to the point of getting thrown out of the place or anything. Right. You know? Well, we've got another picture here of you. Uh, this is uh, you watching the Sex Pistols, I think in Leeds, was it in Leeds? It was Pauline? on the Anarchy Tour, so yeah. it was in Leeds. And you can spot Pauline just to the left of those Bottom two right fingers. Yeah. Um, it's such a funny picture because we were talking about this morning that, 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 that half the audience has been made up photographers, actually. Yeah. And also it's that thing that, that everyone imagines. If you see documentaries about punk rock, it's all safety pins and bin liners. No, it's not there's a really. lot of long That's hair and flares, curious, isn't there? Yeah, you know? Long-haired people yeah. they probably it, went it, to see. In, kind the, of... in the book, there's a photo of um, the Electric Circus when we supported Buzzcocks in 77. And um, uh, Russ, the guy who was you know, doing all the layouts, he insisted on putting that foot, it was quite expensive photo, but it's the crowd around the building and it's fascinating because a lot of them have got long hair and flares, yep. there's kids running around, uh, it's not a, what you would think, think of as a punk audience, it's uh, very much of its time because when it first started, we were still very much into that 70s look yep. our manager, you know, he had um, the long hair, the tash, the waistcoat, the stripy shirt, the, the, the loons, you know. <laughs> that was like a crossover point. It was still very much there, you know, at, when it first started. So tell us about penetration coming together. Did that all happen quite quickly? It started off as just a hobby. It started off as something to do. It, you know, we didn't really have any grand plan about it there was a few of us in that mining village who were a bit different and who were into music so you naturally gravitate to people like that and Gary Chaplin was one of those people he liked T-Rex he liked Cockney Rebel and he played guitar and in, in, in 1976 I mean I was, I was still going to see bands and I had seen the Pistols um earlier that year and uh, you know we had been uh, introduced to Patti Smith to television all the New York stuff um, and then smaller venues were starting to take on bands like Eddie and the Hot Rods the pub rock thing had been Dr Feelgood but <laughs> Dr Feelgood were doing big venues they were doing city hall size venues but then we started to see the, like, the damned and in, in small venues where, near where we lived. And I think we thought, yeah, we, we can do that. And um, we just got together once a week and thrashed out some cover versions to start with. What, what were your yeah, cover were you versions? You yeah, well, the cover Road versions... Like yeah, it was a Jonathan Richmond Roadrunner. It was Pills by the New York Dolls. It, it was uh, Patti Smith's um, version of Gloria. 
uh, I think there was a, might have been a Ramones song in there. Uh, easy things to play, you know, like and rock out to. And uh, we start, you know, putting cover versions together. And then as the year turned, um, we started writing our own stuff and uh, started trying to get supports with people locally. And it all went on from there. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I really... I'm gonna, it, it, you've got extraordinary you know, scrapbooks of old um, you know, tickets and flyers and so forth. Who did you... Tell us some of the groups you supported... Well, the, I think the first one was Slaughtering the Dogs and uh, Doctors of Madness we supported and Generation X and Elvis Costello and... Um, the, early, the early Joy Division didn't you support, I think? No, they supported us. Uh, they you. <laughs> they were called uh, Warsaw. We invited them to support us. Adverts we supported... Uh, yeah, Joy Division were Warsaw and um, we used to go to Manchester because it was quite near to where we lived. It was three hours rather than seven hours to London and um, we used to play with the fall and that and then uh, it was Jubilee um, 1977 and our manager at the time put an event on. So it, it was uh, the adverts and us and a band called Harry Hack and a band called Warsaw and then... Obviously, they went on to become Joy Division. Musically, at that time, there were nothing like Joy Division, so they had a big, some type of big turnaround in um, the musical style. So, you, very you, early days. You kept a diary in those early days, didn't you? Well, I did for 1978, which is amazing, because it was our sort of biggest year of penetration, and I filled it in every single day. I don't every know how day. I managed to do it, because we were so busy, and it was very honest. <laughs> it, it, it was... Uh, 
So in what, in what way on this? You're talking about times that I didn't work out so well. critiqued everything. It was like well, they were crap and uh, the audience were terrible tonight and uh, I enjoyed tonight. Oh, you know, these people are ignorant and they were spitting like morons. Uh, I was going to ask it, you about it, it that. It was all of that sort of stuff. Because that's an extraordinary thing, reading in the book about just, you forget that, um, you know, people oh, used to gob. Horrible, and horrible. Absolutely, it seems absolutely repulsive now. It is know? repulsive, and, and it, was it was repulsive, repulsive then. then. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it, it was terrible. Appalling. Yes. Um, what do you want to know about the gobbing? <laughs> and you couldn't appeal to people to stop, it wouldn't you? No. If you asked them to stop, they did it more. So I realised that very early on, that, that like, if you told them to stop, they did it more, so you just didn't like, to get, say anything about it, you just dodged about. It was disgusting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what about the, the business? It, it, female lead singers tended to get individual attention. As we're looking at a cover of the NME from uh, 1978, November of 1978, and they, it's penetration, but it, it's you on the cover. How how, yeah. how did that go down in the band? I don't know. You'd have to ask them, wouldn't you? Right, OK. But uh, it wasn't up to me. And, and uh, right from the start, I mean, I don't know whether it's a thing that the lead singer gets pulled out, whether it's male or female. I'm not sure whether that's a thing. But I had absolutely no control over that. Um, you know, a review would come up and it would be a picture of me. Or sometimes it would be me and Gary, the guitarist. Um but it was something that I had no control over, so I don't know what the band thought of that, whether they felt a bit threatened of it or jealous or... I don't know. But the rock press was so important at that time, wasn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. You, you mentioned various absolutely. things. Absolutely. You could probably still remember those reviews. You quote... I think it sounds, uh, calls you a, a she-vixen of a singer. Yes. And says you're Patti Smith with, uh, with singing lessons. And then yes. I think the enemy says that you're, you're deafeningly awful. Yes. It must have been so heartbreaking to read things like that. The, the, the reviews, I mean... At the time, I mean, the music papers were really important because it was, the like the only window into it all and um, they were really important that they could make or break people. It, it was that important of, of what they had to say about you and the journalists themselves were important whether it was, you know, this journalist or that one and uh, what they had to say about you, whether they were cool or whether they weren't. And uh, we used to, you know, the reviews would come in and... You know, you think, well, we'll manage to get through that one all right. But the one when it said we were definitely awful, it was a full page. And um, the guy, I bumped into him a few years later and, you know, I called him out and I said, you know, what are you, I don't know what you're doing here, you know. like, And he reckoned that he'd given, like, lots of good reviews that week and he was told by the editor that he had to give a bad one. I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it was... The, the journalist did, did you have let him a, off? That doesn't sound... No, I'm, I didn't I'm not let convinced him off. by that. I'm not very forgiving, I have to say. You know, if someone, like, steps over the line with me, um, it takes a lot for me to uh, forgive them. No, I didn't. But, um, yeah, they were really important. And some of them were ferocious. Uh, reviewers like Jane Suck, people feared it. She was just mm. so... Uh, Extreme. I mean, you hadn't had yeah. a, you hadn't had that in, in in the music papers before punk either. These reviewers who were like 
punk reviewers really. No, absolutely. Really no, absolutely. Definitely. Horrible. <laughs> you know. So was there a sense of sisterhood with the other with the other kind of girl singers at the time? We're just looking not at the really. Chrissy Hunt, not really, no. Well, I never really mingled with people because yeah. you're doing your own thing and uh, I have to say, you know, we played with the adverts a lot in the early days and I'm still very good friends with Gay and she's a really nice person but I didn't really meet the others, you know. I, I saw polystyrene once with x-ray specs at the man in the moon but I didn't meet her. I didn't really meet Chrissy Hind. Susie I was on the bill with quite a few times and she just didn't even want to like say hello so I, I I didn't really feel that much affinity with the other girls. I didn't feel particularly like a girl. I just thought uh, I'm a member of a, of a band and I'm doing what I do. I didn't really make much of me on yeah, girlhood. Yeah. I just just thought I was a member of the band and with the, with the guys. I didn't yeah. think, oh, I'm a female and, uh, you know, I better like, get with the other females. It wasn't that sort of thing. Not for me, anyway. One of the most striking pictures in the book, I'm delighted you put it in, is your, is your wedding picture. Oh, so this is in the that. midst of... Uh, it's a, oh, what, year, what year is this? This is 1978. This is, so you're on in the, the whole In the massive... Yeah. You've just been supporting the Stranglers just, one night. I'll, and I'll just next... get married in amongst all this, shall I? <laughs> no, was, my God deeply regretted it, you know. I signed the contract like I signed record contracts without even thinking. Uh, anyway, yeah, this was March um, 1978. So how old were you? Would you be there? 20. Right. But I'd known um, Peter since I was 12. Right. Which is really stupid to go ahead and get married especially at that time when all that was going on. But I'm really surprised I could find a picture of that. I, I, I thought I'd lost that. I, I, that's the only picture I have. Um, well, we're very glad you did. Actually. Well, I found it by chance it's just in time. For the, I thought, should I put that in or should I not? I thought, ah, that's a timepiece, isn't it? It, it really you know? is. It's, it's the, the 70s, combination of formal wear and the... the 70s. And the chap on the right who, you know, yeah. looks if you wandered in from the vibrators or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just happened to be passing. Yes. Yeah, it's a strange photo. It's, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm delighted you put it in there. I just want to... Another thing I, I'm particularly delighted you put in here, this is a very rare case that we, um, we can share with people a uh, band's profit and loss account for the period... 18th February 1978 to 5th of November 1979, during which this penetration took in 40 grand from sundry tours. That's what came in. The ended up, uh, you know, spending more than that in, that uh, included, in the expenses. Of the yeah, story. that included two um, advances for two albums. Right. Our first and second album are included in the income, which comes as yeah, 93 or 5A at the top. Then you look at the expenses, you know, what the, what the uh, management took and 26, studio recording cost 26,000. Um, Postage, stationery and telephone. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there. Yeah, that's not tour much, cost. is it? Incredible. But, tour you know. cost, 20, is it 23,000? Amazing. But it's just so astonishing that after 18 months and all that amount of money that you'd earn. That's just the first page, that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So you finished up with a page. net loss at the end of it and, and, and therefore left in, in debt to Virgin, presumably. Not to Virgin particularly. 
although I think we still could be in debt to Virgin because every time I get a statement, it doesn't change. It still, it still hangs around 36,000. Funnily so you, enough... you get a statement. Sorry, take me through this. You get a statement, what, twice a year? Is that how it works? If you're very lucky, you might get one every five years or something. But anyway, it comes up as 36. The penetration somehow... Unrecouped. That's unrecouped royalties, isn't it, when it's a virgin thing? And funnily enough, enough, I saw an interview with another band that were on virgin, and he mentioned exactly that same figure. So... (laughs) They have a standard a, letter they send to everybody. It, it, yeah, pace. yeah. They ripped everyone off to the same amount. Yeah. But this is, mani- this is management and band costs, you know. Um, we, we were really stupid, you know. We signed, signed but, things that we didn't even ha- get looked at, you know. But presumably people back home or wherever thought, oh, you're on the telly, you're in... Well, everybody thinks that, don't they? they? You know, everybody thinks that. You're living that. high on the hog. Yeah, everyone thinks that, don't they? Uh, so it must have been the case for quite a lot of groups that they finished up in debt. Yeah. I would have thought so, unless they had some big hits. Mm. Unless they sort of started in the 80s. <laughs> but I think the ones in the 70s were massively uh, um, taken advantage of. I think it was a different type of business. It was... Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was the business. But when the group split up then, did you, was there a part of you who just thought, I'm not sure I should keep going, because you, you, you go on and it's the Invisible yeah, Girls did. and stuff like that. There must be a point where you thought, is this going to be worth it? Well, I did get to that point in, at the end of 1979 where we'd done two albums, the albums had done well. We were doing really well uh, as a live band. We were like right on the top end of it all getting big crowds and we were still on like 30 quid a week uh, we were still like never had any money and worked to death we never had a minute off and then what happens is you get very tired as you're doing shows every single night and we did a tour of America we came back we did our second album and the guitarist uh the one that looks like he wandered in from the vibrators. Uh, he said he wanted to leave, and I thought, you know what, I've had enough of this myself. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sick of this. And we split up at the end of that tour, and that was it. Right. Dropped everyone off and never saw them again. Oh, really? Was it like oh, yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, we didn't have an, any animosity, but... Drop you off? See you, see you later. You see you in off, ten years. Are there members of that group that you, had, you hadn't seen? For, well, you, obviously, there's a reunion, but there's no one you haven't seen ever again. I've seen them all again, yeah, but, right. uh, you know. <laughs> but it must be really odd to go from having that really close relationship. You're all in the back of a van or whatever. Well, you say it's a really close relationship and you are all in the back of a van and you're all going through the same experience, but as it goes along, everybody's little habits start to get on your nerves and you right. all get on each other's nerves. The management tries to divide things up and stir up trouble and, and you're in a very stressful situation, really. Um, and eventually, you know, you just... Would you know these people if you weren't, like, in that position? Um, you know, but isn't this the story of every group? Absolutely. On, on every you can barely level. name any group that are still the same members that they started, and I looked into this, and it's you two. Yeah. And uh, the other one was... Um, oh, well, God. R.E.M. was... Well, go on. Yeah, yeah but they're not now. But no, the guys, no, ZZ Top, one of them's dead now. But, yeah. but they were Two. the only other band that I could find that had actually 
stayed together in an original lineup from the beginning. Very rare. In fact, bands go about now, they have no members uh, from the original lineup. Right, right. So. But Penetration came back together together again in it's what eventually two thousand and six. I'm looking. We're looking at two thousand and one or something like oh, that. that? Okay, well, I right. did the Invisible Girls thing after that right, and went yeah. and did that, and then I gave music up for twenty twenty odd years. I just didn't want to do it. I just thought that's such a. Oh, I don't know. You, you can't work it out. It's not like a normal thing. It's all based around many factors that you can't put your finger on it's not like reality really it is but it isn't you know and I just got out of it all I thought I need to like have some reality here I need to be able to make a living that I know I can make that there's not someone like taking it all away yeah. like the minute you're making it you, you never see it and uh, so I didn't do anything in music particularly for 23 years I just took a back seat, I set up a business which was related to music, uh, rehearsal studios, had kids, just got out of it all and then... Uh, it, what was it enough, like to get back into it again? Then? Well, funnily this enough... This is like a sort of punk package tour, isn't it, that you were on? Well, what happened was I, I was never interested in reforming it. I just didn't see the point and I didn't even think I could sing those songs again. They're like songs from when you're young and a different time and... Um, the old vibrators person got in touch <laughs> and uh, wanted to do a gig in Newcastle and, and London. I said, I'm not interested in reforming the band to do one or two gigs. I knew that you can't go out there like really bad. You've got to be as good as you were, if not better. I mean, it's a tall order. You're not going to go out there and like work like really bad and it's just as much work for one gig it's just really, as, as is much tour, work yeah I said no I'm not doing that and uh, the drummer got in touch the same week totally separate I thought ah is the universe trying to tell me something here I thought I better like you know take note of this and I thought I'll give it a try if I like it I'll do it if I don't like it I'll never do it again that'll be it and uh we did get together and a couple of the members didn't carry on with it, but we'd got enough songs ready to be in a position to do live performances. We'd had, we got a set together just by rehearsing once a week and then once you do that, you pull back in, aren't you? It's like, yeah, yeah. oh, well, let's, put a gig, let's do a gig. Well, let's do another one. And then before you know it, you, you pull back in, but it's a different timeline. Now you're, um, what they call them, uh, heritage bands and all that. Yeah. Whatever phrase they have for it, you know. You're coming in on a different timeline. What, you know, it's like, well, well where did Penetration sit in 2001? Or, but we did it because we, I was enjoying singing again. Um, you know, so we did it for that and we didn't go into the business with managers and all that. We just did it ourselves. We all had lives outside of it, so it ha just had to fit with that. So it, it was done in a different way, you know. Um, we're right. outside of it all and it doesn't matter. You you, at some stage, you must have had a conversation with your children about, you know, kind of what did what did I do before you came along kind of thing. Did you... Well, they, they grew up aware that you'd been in a 
a band or not? No, I mean, uh, I had rehearsal studios, so they knew right, I was involved yeah, in music, right. and they, you know, from the day they were born, they were like taken to the rehearsal studios right. if I was busy, and you know, so um, they, they knew that there was music and all of that, bands and everything. But they didn't realise till after we'd reformed, we got offered to do this thing in, um, it was uh, at a holiday camp in um, Minehead. Right. And uh, the guy said, you know, will you come and do this? I went, I'm not going all that way, you know. However far, it was a long way. You've got to remember we're in Newcastle. And he said, well, I'll, I'll give you a tour, bu- a sleeper bus if you'll do it. And uh, we went, oh, well, we've never had a sleeper bus. We've never done that. So uh, the first... Richard, you're a pushover. Yeah. I'll do anything for a sleeper bus, hey? <coughs> really value yourself. Uh, anyway, we agreed to do it. We thought we'll t- treat this as an adventure. And we took our kids, and our son was maybe... Mm, I don't know how old they were. Five, seven? Anyway, they knew nothing about us. Uh, but when the sleeper bus turned up, because they were coming on it, uh, they were most impressed Absolutely. with the sleeper bus. And then they came to the gig, which was a punk gig. It was the Damned. It was... I can't remember who was on the bill, but it was a typical punk gig. And, the, and the, the stood, at, stood at the side of the stage watching us, and they'd never seen us doing this. And the, the barrier at the front gave way and all they can remember about that gig is that the audience outside there was picnic wooden picnic tables outside of the venue and all they can remember is seeing lots of wooden picnic tables being passed through the crowd uh, and put along the front as a as a barrier you know um so that was their introduction to us in music and punk a punk gig, basically. But did this make Not them naturally curious about their mum? Did they have they gone back to and tried to find uh, old YouTube footage of no. you and stuff like that? They haven't at all. They're not that interested. Not they, that. Haven't, they, <laughs> they haven't read your book, is that right? You've they've both give... got a copy, and I don't think they've read it yet. But uh, <laughs> perhaps when I die, you know, they can find out all about it. But I don't know. Um, it's there, isn't it? It's there, and it's, they uh, will it's one definitely when the time is right. It's, it's definitely Yes, there. I mean, you know, it takes a while to get round to reading a book. You've got to be in the mood. <laughs> you do. You can, it can sit there for a while and think, oh, when am I going to read that? So how do you look back on those days now? I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're here tonight and there's, you know, Glenn's here and you know, there's a picture of you with John Lydon and so forth. You know, do you kind of look back at it like people who used to look back at the war or something? Think that was... That was that well, very it, intense short period. It's very strange that we're still sat here talking about it. I have to say, it must have had some massive effect to be sat here talking about that from all that time ago. Do you know what I mean? It must have had a quite did, a, big, quite a big resonance. Yeah. In you know, in the atmosphere that it can still resonate to sit here now, all that time later. I mean. So, I don't know... Well, it's a big part of people's lives. If they were that we, age, they were going to see those well, bands. Abs- also, it's become absolutely. a big part of, of, kind of, you know, British pop culture, isn't it? You know... You, For something that was so hated, yes. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, I finally, can't. why the title of the book? Well, it's the title of one of the songs, for starters, right. and because it's an autobiography... Um, because people were saying, oh, call it, don't dictate. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, 
because it's an autobiography and it's about my life and I have taken a lot of gambles, everything I've done has been something that you, you, you just jump into or people wouldn't normally do. So I thought that was a much more appropriate title, Life's a Gamble, and it's a song of ours, so uh, that's why I chose the title. Right. Well, there's the book. It's a fantastic piece of work. It really is. Uh, it, it really I'm is. delighted that you think that because I've never written a book and done anything <laughs> no, like I it. Absolutely and, and loved it. Yeah. yeah, really vivid and really, really moving and really, really well presented as well. Yeah. That's the other thing, mm. you know. Very strong pictures and so forth. Life's a gamble. Please say thank you, Paul Wayne Murray. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the Word. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart. A better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.